This episode of the New Hampshire Business Show is sponsored by Everlasting Capital. If you're a small business and you need money and a bank won't give it to you, Everlasting Capital is here to help. In as quickly as a couple of days, you can have the funding your business needs for new equipment or anything else you could need the capital for. So submit your application today and see how they can help you out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Hampshire Business Show. My name is Chris Pastrana, and today, as you can see, we are in the Bellman Jewelers studio. They were offer, um, awesome enough to lend it to us for today, which is great. And joining me is John Delaney, <laughs> who is running for president in 2020, so I'll let him introduce himself. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be in this terrific studio, actually. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this is a great opportunity. So uh, my name is John Delaney, and uh, I am running for president. My background is I grew up in North Jersey to a blue-collar family. My dad was an electrician, first in my family to go to college, uh, went to Columbia University, then went down to law school at Georgetown, where I met my wife, best thing that ever happened to me. Been happily married for 29 years. We have four amazing daughters. My wife is one of the leading nonprofit attorneys in the country, focusing on media literacy and kids. I became an entrepreneur. Uh, about a year after law school, I started my first business. Uh, fortunately, I was good at it. Uh, the business became successful. I took it public. I was the youngest CEO in the history of the New York Stock Exchange when I was 33 and took my first company public. And built that up, sold it, started another business, uh, took that public. So I ended up creating several thousand jobs as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And then about 10 years ago, my wife and I decided to dedicate the rest of our lives to public service. Yeah. And that led me to run for Congress. And I was first elected in 2012. I flipped a seat that had been held by a Republican for about 20 years. And I served in the Congress of the United States for six years. And uh, I was consistently ranked one of the most bipartisan members of Congress because I went to Congress because I believe in the politics of progress, that I think people who have the privilege of being elected and serving the American people should actually get things done. And we should roll up our sleeves and find common ground and actually create solutions. And that's really why I'm running for president. Yeah. I think the central issue facing this country is how terribly divided we are, that Americans been pitted against American, and it's caused our democracy to be broken, and our federal government is not an active partner with the private sector and the nonprofit sector, and getting things done, basic things we should have done to prepare our country and our citizens for a world that continues to change so rapidly. So I want to be the person who brings this country together, restores this sense of common purpose, starts solving problems that really matter for the American people and uh, allow us to rethink our future to something much more positive. Yeah. Well, it's a good goal. Yeah. <laughs> I think as divided as the country is right now, <laughs> yes. I think it's uh, definitely a good goal to It's the most important for. thing. Yeah. So let's get into a little bit. Um, sure. Why jump from entrepreneurship into politics? That's, let's get into that a little bit because that's an area most people don't do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's unfortunate because I think um, what makes you wired to be a successful entrepreneur is actually in many ways what the country needs, and, and particularly now because we need more entrepreneurs, and we need to drive the entrepreneurial economy. And, you know, it's, it's, in some ways it's kind of simple. I always thought of my life as a third learning, a third earning, and a third serving. Yeah. You know, to me that would be kind of a, my dream life, and that's kind of what I always thought of. And so I had done my learning part, I had done my earning part, and it was time to get on with my public service chapter <laughs> of my life. And that's really what led, you know, it was a joint decision my wife and I made together, obviously. And uh, we really felt like we had something to give back and that, I, that we'd been very blessed and that uh, what a privilege it is to be able to 
live a meaningful life in public service yeah. and to try to make a difference in the lives of people. And so in many ways, I'm doing this for different reasons, right? Uh, people often ask me about my career, and, and it's funny, I still kind of answer it by saying I was an entrepreneur, you know, because I really actually view this as service. This is not about me. This is not about me. It's about trying to make a difference in the lives of people. Yeah. So why do you want to be president? Well, because that's the way you make the biggest difference. Yeah. You know, I want to make a disproportionate difference in the world with my life. And uh, I think um, what I have to offer is exactly what this country needs. We need to uh, turn the page on decades of terrible partisan politics and get back to this notion that we're all in this together. That doesn't mean we agree with each other on everything. Of course we don't. And we don't want to live in a country where we agree <laughs> with each other on everything. But I think the citizens in this country deserve to live in a country where the things we don't agree with each other on, we can debate in an honest, civil, respectful manner. The battle of ideas, it used to be called. And then that their leaders also, every once in a while, roll up their sleeves and get some things done. Yeah. So that's why I'm running. I like it. So let's talk about New Hampshire a little bit, because New sure. Hampshire is a little bit different than a lot of other places yeah. that you'll probably visit. And the biggest thing is here, you got the Democrats, of course, you got yes. Republicans, but there's also a very large libertarian presence in the state. So how do you approach that? So, you know, I approach every voter the same way. I, I don't think politicians should have different messages for different mm -hmm. voters, right? You should have different issues you care about. Yeah. And I've got every, you know, all kinds of issues. I've got great ideas. But at the end of the day, I'm about what I just said, mm -hmm. which is restoring honesty, truth, civility, and respect to our discourse. And I think whether you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, Independent, doesn't matter, you should care about that. Yeah. And I'm also about solving problems. Because you, if you believe in the democracy, which I do in, in my heart and soul, then you should believe in this notion that you have to let it work. And if a significant majority of the American people want to do things, we should do them. And we shouldn't let small factions block things. That's not democratic. And so that's really my message that, that you know, I have a, a very different perspective on this. I'm doing it for the right reason. I want to bring people together and start solving these problems and finding common ground. And I'm just an optimist by nature. I think this is a magnificent country. And if we actually work together, not as Democrats, not as Republicans, but as Americans, we can solve every problem. Yeah. Well, it's a good approach. Yeah. I think it's a good outlook. It's the only approach, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, good. So, we can get off the politics here for a second. Sure. So, we did the, um, was it the Entrepreneurial Roundtable yeah. just a little while ago, which I definitely want to talk about. Yep. So what do you get from that? What uh, type of messages do you glean that New Hampshire businesses are kind of looking at? Well, it's funny. The things that these entrepreneurs are talking about are the same kind of things that a lot of Americans are talking about, yeah. which is how broken our healthcare system is. Mm -hmm. So that was a big issue. Yeah. Um, why we're not dealing with, with issues that are clearly going to affect my kids and everyone else's kids out there, like climate change and like the debt or the fiscal trajectory of this country. And so a lot of the issues were the same. I, th I think the things that are unique is, um, you know, people are really worried about what's the economic future for places that aren't the big cities. Because the big cities are doing great. There's a massive kind of ability of big cities to attract talent and investment dollars. But a lot of Americans have been left behind by that. A lot of rural towns, you travel around this country, they're shrinking in population, they're being drained of their talent and opportunities. And uh, it's hard to attract talent. There's workforce issues. People aren't investing. So that theme definitely came up. And again, as an entrepreneur, as a business builder, I think I'm uniquely capable of dealing with that. I mean, compared to anyone else, um, certainly. 
who's running for president, who most of them don't know anything about this stuff. <laughs> um, so that was a big issue. Yeah. So yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. Um, you mentioned healthcare. Yeah. So let's talk about your healthcare platform because sure. that was something that New Hampshire entrepreneurs were, yeah, like overwhelmingly interested in. Right. So, so I think everyone should have healthcare as a right. Mm -hmm. I think it's both a basic human right. I think we can afford it. We're clearly spending enough money on healthcare in this country, and I think it's actually smart economic policy. And let's talk about the last point for a second because yeah. I think it's important. So when I started my first business, <clears throat> the only reason I was able to do that is because we were starting a young family at the time. But my wife worked at a company that had healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I was able to leave my company, give up my healthcare, and start a business. I would have never done that if she didn't have healthcare because, again, we were starting a young family. I would have felt like, ah, you know, I, I can't really do this. And it underscores, and I think it's even more true today, how many Americans are actually shackled to their job because of their health care. Yeah. And I just think, like, one of my kids may have 10 jobs. You know, my dad, the union electrician, had one job. It probably made sense to tie health care to your job back then, but I don't think it makes sense going forward. So I've got a plan for universal health care that gives everyone health care as a right. <clears throat> but I'm not an ideologue like some of these people running. I don't think the government should be the only provider of health care. Because, mm -hmm. in fact, I think we have ample evidence to suggest that the government, through the government health care programs, Medicaid and Medicare, actually doesn't pay enough. And if you only had the government providing health care, I think a lot of hospitals would close and the quality of the health care would go down. So I've got a plan, and it's fully paid for, for a universal health care system that everyone gets health care as a right, but they have options. They can buy commercial supplements or even opt out and buy commercial insurance. And I think it's the best plan for universal health care. Okay, so this is a good approach. We can get into this a little bit um, because when a lot of people say universal health care, like you said, everyone kind of just assumes it's one thing. It's that single payer system. Yep. So let's get into a little bit about the detail on that. <laughs> Details I we, matter I, on this. It's actually kind of like your approach because it's different than what everyone else yes. thinks universal health care means. Yes. So this is the thing. And it's, it's kind of a basic economic matter in some ways, right? So Medicaid, which is actually the largest health care program in this country. Um, is the state-based program. And Medicaid only pays 80% of costs. So if you and I were running a hospital and we just took Medicaid, we'd lose 20% and we'd close pretty quickly. Medicare pays 95% of cost. So if we were running a hospital and we just took Medicare, we'd close as well and take a little longer. Commercial insurance pays 115% of cost. So effectively, the government plans don't pay cost. So if you're advocating for a single-payer system, you somehow have to become confident that the government will change how it pays, which I don't have any confidence it will. <laughs> and why? Because it's a political process. Yeah. And a lot of states have balanced budget amendments, right? So they are under a lot of pressure. Healthcare costs are rising faster than inflation. So how are they ever going to really pay costs? How is the government ever going to really pay costs when they don't do it now? And so that would result in a worse healthcare market. So th I think that's a dumb idea. And I think it's, I it's an ideological idea. It's basically people who don't like the private sector saying, I want to get the private sector out of healthcare. Yeah. It's not based on healthcare policy. It's based on their animosity towards the private sector. So I believe everyone who supports these single payer proposals or Medicare for all is basically supporting a plan that's not good healthcare policy. I understand the goal and I admire the goal of universal healthcare because I want it too. But they're doing it out of this ideological kind of distrust of the private sector. Some of these bills make private health care companies illegal. 
Yeah. So think about all the for-profit healthcare companies in this country, hospitals, home healthcare, all that stuff. These people are calling for those to be illegal. Like, what does that even mean? Does that mean all the for-profit healthcare companies in this country have to close? So some of this stuff people are proposing really doesn't make any sense. And so what I'm proposing makes total sense, which is to create a universal healthcare system, give everyone a basic healthcare package as a right. We would roll Medicaid into that. Uh, so you'd have Medicare for everyone over 65. You'd have my plan from when you're born to when you're 65. But if you want to buy supplemental plans, just like Medicare beneficiaries do, if you think about Medicare, everyone gets a go basic government plan under Medicare. And then they can buy supplemental so they can have choices, which is what yeah. the American people want. That's what we should do for the rest of the American people. And that's my plan. Okay. Cool. And it's fully paid for. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that matters. Yes. So how do you go about paying for it? So you, you get rid of the corporate deductibility of health care, okay. which is the biggest tax exemption we have right now. Mm -hmm. And that pays for it. Simple. Yeah, very simple. <laughs> All right, so the next issue that kind of came up a lot was college debt yeah. and then kind of the university system itself. Yeah. So college debt is, is, is uh, there's really the really question of affordability of college. Yeah. We talk a lot about the debt, but we don't talk about affordability. So I think everyone in this country as part of basic public education should have either community college or career and technical training as a basic right. Uh, because I think kids need it. Last year, according to the U.S. military, 71% of our high school graduates were not eligible for the military mm -hmm. because either academic, healthcare, or social deficiencies. So clearly a lot of the American young people, they need something after high school. Yeah. And so I think they should have community college or career and technical training, which is as important, and we always got to talk about that in the same breath. Mm -hmm. That should be part of basic public education. So if they want to get a four-year degree and they're really worried about the cost, they can do two years of community college for free, and then they could go to get two more years at a four-year college, and that'll make it a lot more affordable. I'd also like to lower the interest rates on student loans to make them more affordable. And I just think that's a much more responsible plan than these people calling for free four-year college. Yeah. Because the problem with free four-year college is twofold. Number one, we can't afford it. And number two it basically creates an incentive for everyone to go to four-year college, which isn't the right incentive. And the third thing it does, just to add one other thing, is it, is it ignores where there's also issues with education in this country, which is a pre-K and early childhood. Mm -hmm. If you really want to make a difference in someone's education, you've got to focus on that as well. Yeah. So do you think affordability and quality kind of overlap a little bit in this? Because the, kind of the quality of the health, of, not healthcare, of the education system is also kind of lacking. Um, I don't know if you can even fix that from Well, I think, what level, I, again, we need more responsibility in our whole society. We need more responsibility of our leaders. And citizens have to become, you know, be as responsible as possible. And I think we should fund, through student loans and those kind of things, the government should fund programs that work. So if you're a school and you don't graduate your kids, you shouldn't get student loans because you're not doing your job. And I think young people need more financial literacy training in high school so that they, when they make decisions about going to school and borrowing money, they understand that the decisions that they make have, have consequences, right? So, you know, you have to think about, like, are you ready to do this? Are you actually committed to doing this? Because if you borrow a bunch of money and you don't graduate, it's a problem. Yeah. But I do think we have to orient more of our educational funding towards results-driven uh, educational experiences. And if schools are basically taking kids, getting student loan dollars, indebting the kids, 
and not graduating them, or if they graduate them and they can't get jobs, that's not helping anyone. Yeah. So in that regard, because we've talked about workforce population as well. Yes. That's an issue here in New Hampshire because I forget what it is, like 40% of the state is over like 50 or something yes. like that. Um, so let's talk about the workforce itself. What do you think we should do about some of those issues? Because we, we have people leaving, like you said, faster than they come in. Um, typically, they graduate college and either vanish to New York, Boston, yeah. whatever. Yeah, the draw for these big cities is very compelling. And look, at the end of the day, we've got to make sure jobs are created everywhere in this country. Mm-hmm. And we've got to have good partnerships between local government and the private sector to ensure that we have good workforce training programs. And uh, we have to have incentives for businesses to locate all over this country. You know, I, I'd create an incentive for our government contractors that I'd want 25% of our government contractors that have half of their employees in distressed communities to really create an incentive for people to locate jobs everywhere. Okay. okay. So how do you enforce that? I'm just curious. It's easy. So uh, the government is the largest buyer of goods and services mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. We, the taxpayers, through government contracting, buy more stuff than anyone. Right now, we have preferences. We have preferences for women-owned businesses. For example, we have preferences for veteran-owned businesses. And what that means is, all things being equal, if you offer a competitive process, we uh, favor, uh, in our contracting process, those kind of firms. Not for everything, but for part of them. And I think we should do the same for companies that have committed to have employees in places that are economically struggling. I think those people should get a preference on a government contract. Because if they can deliver the same service, you know, at, at roughly the same price, then I think it's in the interest of the United States of America and all of our citizens to make sure that government contracting jobs are located everywhere, not just in New York, Washington, D.C., and San Francisco. There's plenty of jobs there. <laughs> yeah. But we need more jobs in places all around here in New Hampshire and all around this country. Okay. So I agree. And See, it's not really an enforcement. <laughs> it's basically an incentive. Okay. That's the way I think about it. Okay. And... Yeah, I'll, I'll leave that one out. <laughs> so the, I uh, mean, it's a market-based incentive, which yeah. is, hey, if you if you come to the table and you run a government contractor and you got half your employees in, in places that really need jobs, we're going to basically thank you for that by, by allowing you to win government contractors when otherwise you'd be tied with other people. Yeah. Okay. So we live in, like I said, we live in the land of libertarians. So there is an idea here where we can have all of these good ideas and we can make them work. But should the government be in that position to do so? Because that's a big thing you're going to get here. Is that's up to the d- democratic process. Yeah. So, so I don't actually think the way to think about some of these questions is uh, in these ideological, conceptual ways. Mm-hmm. The way to think about them is we should have a battle of ideas. Yeah. People should step forward and say, okay, what do we think the best thing for the country is? And you always have to balance our liberty and freedom, which is central to who we are and to the identity of this country, with our need to build a social compact to give our citizens the basic shot they all deserve. Because I believe in equality of opportunity. I think people, no matter where they're born, what the color of their skin is, what the condition of their birth, they all deserve an opportunity. So you gotta balance those things. And it's really up to the democratic process to decide whether to do it. So if 60, 70% of the American people like a certain idea, I think we should do it. Yeah. And that's kind of how I think about it. And that's, that's the ultimate freedom. That's the ultimate thing libertarians should care about, which is the democracy working. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, because a lot of my audience is yeah. libertarian. Well, and so that's great. I mean, listen, <laughs> I served a lot of great libertarians in the Congress. 
and uh, we had a lot in common. Yeah, well, it seems so. Like from what I've seen from the current candidates, <laughs> there are some that are very, very far left as mm -hmm. far as ideas. You seem actually a little moderate, kind of in the middle. I guess. So this is, you know, I think the genius of the United States of America is this notion that we allowed capitalism and the free market to work its magic. Mm -hmm. And capitalism and the free market are the greatest innovation and job creation machines ever created, full stop. And there's no better economic model. But what we also did is we didn't let them run unchecked. Mm -hmm. We built societal infrastructure, like public schools and physical infrastructure. We had appropriate regulations to protect our consumers. We gave workers rights. Um, and those things together, in my opinion, kind of channeled capitalism towards the common good. And that's what I think the model of this country really is at the end of the day, is you let capitalism work its magic, but you build a social compact so that every citizen gets a certain set of rights in terms of the education they receive, in terms of the opportunities that are available to them. And, and that results in broad-based prosperity. I think we've lost that. And I think this, these arguments between like socialism and capitalism, in some ways it's, it's kind of ridiculous because socialism in its pure form is the wrong answer to every question, right? Government owning the means of production, that, yep. that doesn't work. But capitalism left unchecked doesn't work either. Mm -hmm. And we've never done that. We, he looks at, we used to let kids work in factories. <laughs> that was a capitalistic, uh, you know, that, that was done under capitalism. But as a society, we got together and said, that's wrong, right? We can have capitalism without letting kids work in factories. So we changed the rules. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how I think about it. You update the basic institutions and laws in society to ensure that people are treated fairly and have opportunity. And then once you do that, you let capitalism work its magic. Okay. I like that approach. So I think libertarians I like that approach. <laughs> I think it's common sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we may differ on the margin, like what the government's role in healthcare should be, et cetera. But I want people to know how I think about it. Yeah. Cool. I like that. Um, so I, I kind of only covered the ones I kind of dealt with entrepreneurship sure. and all stuff. But for people that want to learn more about your policy as a whole, where do they get a hold of you? JohnDelaney.com. Really nice. simple. <laughs> nice and easy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining it's me. Great. It was really great fun. to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for watching. Definitely reach out, learn more. Because, like you said, being informed is the best policy.